Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today I want to talk to you about expecting great things. Expect great things because we have a great God. Most people don't realize it, but your expectancy determines what happens to you. Jesus said it like this. He said, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Jesus is saying what you're expecting, that's what's going to be happening. When David faced Goliath, he expected to kill Goliath. Before he ever got there, he said, I'll go and fight him. He's before the king and the king says, you can't go and fight him. You're just a kid. He's a giant. And David said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and a bear came and a lion and took one of those sheep. I went after him. I grabbed him by his beard. I smote him and I killed him. And that giant is going to be just like the lion and just like the bear. When he got out there, he said to the giant, today, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to take your head from you and feed your body and the bodies of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. He expected something to happen. He expected God to do great things through him. Abraham is an old man. And at this point, his name still is Abram, but God comes to him and says, look, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven and like the sand of the seashore. And your name no longer is Abram, but it is Abraham, which means the father of a multitude or the father of nations. He's old, right? But God changes his name. And so every place he's going, he's saying, I'm the father of a multitude. I'm the father of a multitude. What is God doing? God is changing his expectation. Right? And the Bible says in Romans chapter four, that as he did that, he grew strong in faith. As he did that, his expectancy, what he expected to happen changed. And remember, Jesus said, according to your faith, your expectancy, so let it be done unto you. Right. Years later, and David, his army is facing the army of the Philistines and David goes to God and says, God, I need a strategy. I need to know what to do. And God says, this is what you do. He says, go around behind these mulberry trees. And when you hear a sound in the trees, he said, attack because I'm going before you and I'm giving you the victory. He expected God to move on his behalf. And then he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. He says, like water breaks through a dam. It may start like a trickle, but then it just explodes. He says, God has broken through and given me the victory, the deliverance that I needed. Now, God wants to eliminate our barely get by attitudes and thoughts. He wants us to get by that point where we believe that we are not going to succeed, that God's not going to give us victory. And one of the main things that holds us back is we look at the past. We tend to look behind us. Now, everybody here, somebody drove a vehicle to get you here today. Right? I don't think anybody walked, maybe a few of you, but let me tell you, when, when they drove you today, all right, they were looking out the windshield and not the rearview mirror. Now there's two things. How many of you know the rearview mirror is about this big and the windshield is about this big? All right. Here's why. Because what's in front of you is more important than what's behind you. 
And if the person driving you spent all of their time looking in the rear view mirror, you would not have made it. Now, the same thing is true in life. If you spend all your time looking in the rear view mirror, you're not going to get where you're supposed to go. Now, if, if we could talk to the Apostle Paul, now he was trying to help the Philippians literally grab hold of this. He says, you know, he, he's, he's constantly telling them, he says, now rejoice, rejoice. God's going to do great things. God's going to see you through. He who began a good work in you, he's going to complete that good work. And he's saying rejoice. And, and, and then this is what he says. He says, this one thing I do. And I think if Paul was here and we could say, Paul, we want you to help us fulfill the purpose that God has for our life. What do we need to do? I think Paul would tell us, this is the one thing that you need to do. This is the one thing. If I can just tell you one thing, this is it. He said, this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind and I reach for those things that are ahead. He's telling us that we need to realize that those things in our past, once you're in Christ, should not limit you. Because if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, years ago, I was reading this particular scripture and uh, I, I took Greek and trust me, I forgot all of it. Okay. I don't remember it, but this guy was a Greek scholar and he said that this is a selective forgetting. He says, when, when, when he's telling you to forget those things that are behind, he's saying there are things that limit you that happened in your past. He says, and you need to forget those things. But there's some things, listen, that happened to you that God is going to use to shape you today. In Romans 8, it says this, that God works all things together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that God causes those things, but it means that he works those things together. He rearranges and he uses it. He brings good out of what the devil meant for bad. Right? Joseph said it like this to his brothers. He said, you meant it for evil, right? But God meant it for good. Uh, again, I was <laughs> reading a scholar and he made this observation. He said, where, he said, but God meant it for good. He said, if you go back to the original Hebrew, this is literally what it says. It says, you weaved it for evil, but God reweaved it for my good. God can take things that somebody else means for evil and he can reweave that thing for your good. He will, he will take no matter what happens. Uh, let me tell you a little, uh, a, a story. This is a true story. All my stories are true. I was going to tell you, it's a true story. All right. But Jeannie and I, we were missionaries in Mexico for seven years. Right. That we, we barely got to Mexico and we started a church. Right. And after six months, we had to leave Mexico because at that time you could not get papers from the government to be a missionary and stay an extended period of time, you had to go in on tourist papers, which the maximum you could be there was 180 days. So at the end of our 180 days, it was just about Christmas time. And I said, Jeannie, I said, uh, we gotta go leave the country. So let's just go up to Michigan, see my parents for a few days and then go on back. And she said, great. So a few days before we were gonna leave, it was probably a week or two, 
we were having a service and a guy came in the back and walked across the back of the, 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 the little sanctuary that we had. Uh, it wasn't even as big as this platform. All right? And when he did, the spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, that man's a false prophet. And I, I watched him and he was trying to get close to some people. And so I got the guys that I was trying to bring up into leadership, Rogelio, Guatemoc, Guillermo. And I said, that guy, I said, he's not right. The Lord has shown me there's something wrong there. I said, listen, do not let that guy take over a service. And they said, okay, okay. And I said, now Guillermo, you preach. Guatemoc, you preach. Rogelio, you do this service. And had everything all set. We left. First service, we're gone. All right. This guy, his name is Lucio. Does that sound bad? Lucifer, Lucio, you know. And uh, he, he comes in and he says, God said I am supposed to preach. How many of you know that every time somebody says God said, it ain't God? Right? But he said, God said. And so they let him. And then the next service, he did the same thing. And the next service, he did the same thing. Right? And by the time we got back 10 days later, he had split the church right down the middle. Right? And uh, I, was, I was very devastated. And I started going, literally knocking on doors, people of the church. Um, the different things that happened, I, I got spit at. I got cussed out, um, called an American demon. One of the things this guy told them was that Jeannie and I work for the CIA. And I thought, well, where is the check for goodness sake, you know? <laughs> we're, we're, we're poor missionaries. They split, they, they, they split the tires on our car, uh, just all sorts of different things. And I remember going up to this one particular door, knocked on the door, they answered, they spit in my face and said, you American demon in Jesus name, get out of here. And, and just slammed the door. And I went back to my, my car and I put my head on a steering wheel and I was shaking and I cried, I, I just broke down, I was just weeping and I said, God, I said, I cannot do this. I said, I am the worst pastor in the world and I quit. And when I said that, this something just bubbled up from the inside, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I, I like heard these words on the inside, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so persecuted they prophets who were before you and great is your reward in heaven. And I remember exactly what I did, I went. <laughs> I'm like, I was so, I mean, I wanted to quit. All right, I wanted to quit. Now I tell you that story, because what happened because of that, right? That was, that was one of the worst things that ever happened to me in my life, but it shaped me, right? And because of that, I have got a heart for pastors that are struggling. Sunday night, Jeannie and I were in Marcellus, about 80 miles south of here, helping a church and their pastor. Wednesday night, we were in Grayling, helping a church and their pastor, right? I've got a heart to help people that are hurting because of the hurt that I went through. Now listen, this is what the Bible says. It says that the comfort with which God comforts you, when you go through tribulation, when you go through problems, it says God will have you use that same comfort, that same grace to help other people. The misery that you go through, God will make it your ministry. It may be you go through a divorce. It might be you've had an abortion. 
Maybe you had a miscarriage. Maybe you had a financial failure. Maybe somebody stole from you. Whatever it is that you go through, God will minister to you. But he wants you to take the same grace that he ministered to you and he wants to use you to minister that grace to other people. Somebody might be addicted to drugs and they think there's no hope. But 10 years ago, you were addicted to drugs and God delivered you. And now God's going to use you to help that person come to God and be delivered. Your mess, literally God uses it to become your message. God takes the stuff in our life. I grew up in church, okay? And it was boring, right? I hated church, all right? I hated it, all right? I hated Sunday school. I hated church. I hated it, all right? So when we became pastors, this is what I said. I said, we want to have fun, right? And we're going to have a kids ministry where kids have fun. We're going to give them the word, but they're going to have fun, right? Now, God took what was boring, what I disliked, something that happened in my life, and he used it to change the way that I think about something, right? Now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what it's saying. It says, when you are in Christ, God takes off the limits. Right? God does what people think you can't do. Right? People look at you, and this is what the Bible refers to as knowing you according to your flesh. They look at you and they look at your past and they go, I knew him when he was drunk. I knew him when they were a druggie. I know they had an abortion. I remember when they were immoral. When, I know they had a divorce. I know about all the failures in their life. I know their family. Nobody in their family's ever done anything and they aren't going to do anything. They're from the wrong side of the tracks. They're the wrong gender. They're the wrong ethnicity. They're not smart enough. They don't have enough education. Listen, God looks at your faith. God looks at your heart and who you are in Christ. God doesn't check out your past to determine your future. He looks at who you are in Christ to determine your future. That takes the limits off. Now, uh, I got saved and almost immediately went to Bible college. Um, my roommate, the, the first semester, was also from Grand Rapids, good friend. He falls in love, gets, and, and, uh, gets married at the end of the first semester, moves back to Grand Rapids, and he's leading worship in a church, and, and things are great. Uh, Jeannie and I, we, we, we spend a few more years there, and we graduate, and we, we're, we're going to go to Mexico as missionaries. Came back to talk to my family before we, before we went to, to Mexico. And my former roommate invites me over for dinner, all right? And that we're sitting down at the table and they feed us venison stroganoff. That's the day I fell in love with speed beef. We call deer speed beef at my house, okay? And after the meal, we're sitting there and my friend, who is my friend to this day, all right, said to me, said to me, he said, now, he said, I could prophesy to you right now, but I'm just going to tell you the will of God. He said, because you're missing it. 
And by the way, God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. Got that? God loves you, but everybody else, they, they've got a plan, right? They, they, they look at you and they say, this is how far they can go. This is what they can do. And they put you in a box, right? And don't you try to get out of that box because they want you inside that box because they're comfortable with you in that box. And so this is what he said to me. He said, you are not supposed to go to Mexico as missionaries. He says, if you do, you will fail miserably and come back with your tail between your legs. He says, you're supposed to move back to Grand Rapids. He said, you used to have a job at Steelcase. You're supposed to go back to Steelcase, work at Steelcase and attend the church. And uh, he said, if you don't listen to me, he said, you are missing God. He said, I'm telling you right now, that's the will of God for you. Right. Now, of course, we didn't listen. Right. We went to Mexico and uh, he, of course, came back later and said, uh, I, I, was, I was wrong. I was wrong. Right. But people look at you and they try to judge you based on where your past, your family, your education, what they think you can do. But if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things, the limits are off. All things have become new and all these things are of God. Do you know Peter tried to rebuke Jesus and told him he couldn't go to the cross? How many know Peter missed it? Right? When, when you try to limit somebody based on what you see, you're going to miss it every time. We have a great God. His name is El Shaddai. Not the God who's just enough, but the God who's more than enough. Not El Chipo. Right? El Shaddai. All right. That's why we should expect great things because we have a great God. All right. One of my heroes of the faith is William Carey. Some of you may have heard of him. Others not. Born in 1761. Uh, he became a cobbler. He was uh, a shoemaker. And, and he did a little bit of tutoring as a teacher. But his main income was he was a cobbler. And, and he would make his shoes at his, at his bench and had a map of the world in front of him. And, and he would be making shoes and, and praying over the world. And, and he began to think, we need to do something to reach these people. And he actually went to a, a minister's meeting. And, uh, and, and he had this, this was his question. It actually became the title of one of his sermons. And uh, people used to have long titles. And his title was an inquiry into the need of Christians to use means to reach the lost. In other words, should we do something to try to win people to the Lord? Right? And at that meeting, Dr. John Ryland replied, and he said, young man, you are an enthusiast. Now, by the way, an enthusiast is someone who loves God more than you do. Right? He says, and if God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or ours. Well, William Carey was very unaffected. Right? And in May the 30th, 1792, he preached a sermon entitled Expect Great Things from God and Attempt Great Things for God. And at the close of the service, he told the ushers, lock the doors. And they did. They didn't let anybody out. And he said, we have to do something. Right? And before they, 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 they dismissed, they had formed what we look back today and we call the first modern missions society. And although he had no intention in less than a year, he's on a boat to India. 
and landed in November of 1793. Had tremendous opposition, right? But he said, we, need, we, we have a great God and we need to attempt great things for God. So he translated the Bible into over 20 languages. He put together the first Sanskrit dictionary. He taught in schools. Well, he started the first school in India for girls, the first school for all classes, the first college in native language. He campaigned immediately against child marriages because girls were being married as young as six and seven, eight years old. He campaigned immediately to stop sati. Now, sati was when a, a husband died, they take the wife and they would burn her alive so that he didn't go into paradise alone. And he was the first person, in, in spite of the fact that, that England had had influence for over a hundred years, he was the first person to stand up against it. He said, every life is precious before God. Right? He can't, for the same reason he campaigned against infanticide. He said, that's a person that's created in the image of God. And there's, you, you, you should not take their, their life. Right? He introduced the linear system of gardening, published the first book on science and natural history in India, because this is what he believed. He, he said, God created the earth and the earth is good. And he told us to cultivate the earth. He said, well, we, we don't need to just do nothing. We need to cultivate, all right? He introduced the steam engine to India as well. He was the first to make indigenous paper for the, the printing industry. And he said, man should not do what a machine could do. Man is to take dominion. Now, everything that he did, he always would take it back to the Bible. For example, he, he was the first person to introduce uh, in India, saving banks, all right? And the reason that he did it was this. He said, God hates the oppression of the poor. He said, and the Bible condemns excessive interest or usury. And at that time in India, in a bank, a loan was between 36 and 72% annually. And he said, that's oppression of the poor. He says, so he introduced savings banks in order to counter that, all right? He taught printing technology, brought the first steam engine into India, uh, established the agricultural society in India 30 years before England even established their, their uh, agricultural society. So he stood against polygamy, right? And you say, why did he do that? Because God made one Adam and one Eve, right? That's God's best, always has been. Right? And you say, yeah, but that's, what about King David? What about Solomon? Well, if you had asked Jesus, that's what he would have told you. In the beginning, it was not so. God in the beginning gives us the pattern. One man, one woman. So he, he campaigned against polygamy, against infanticide, against child marriage, against widow burning, against euthanasia, against forced female illiteracy. All of those things that were countercultural because he thought different. Now, I want you to listen. The reason God gave you the Bible was for faith to come and you to think differently, right? He wants you to think differently, right? Now, I'm gonna give you a couple of scriptures for this. First of all, Romans 12, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the society around you, but be transformed. The word there, transform, we get our word metamorphosis from that word where a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, literally by changing the way you think. 
Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Third John verse two, beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper, that you'd be in health, even as your soul prospers, right? As your mind prospers, as you change the way that you think and you begin to think like God thinks, it says, then you're going to be in health. Then your soul is going to prosper. You're going to prosper just like your soul is prospering. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while me may be found, call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You see, you can be away from God simply by believing the wrong thing, right? You got to forsake those thoughts that are different than God. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy on him and to our God. He will abundantly pardon, right? Joshua 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Now, I always thought, well, God just gave some people success, but that's not what the Bible says at all. It says, if you'll meditate on God's word, you say, what does that mean? That means you, you, you get that verse and you look at that verse and you think, how does that apply in my marriage? How does that reply with my kids? How does it apply in my job with my employees, with my fellow students? Uh, how does that apply in, in, in how I use my finances? And you take that, that thought that you've got and you look at it in every different way and you meditate on it. He says, you'll do that. He says, you will make your way prosperous then you will have good success. What's it telling us? It's telling us you need to change the way that you think, all right? How many of you have seen one of these pictures, they call them, sometimes they call them the, the magic eye. I guess the official name is dot audio stereogram, all right? Now, here's one right there. Now, I'm looking at that thing and I'm telling you, it's, just, it's a mess, but there's a shark in there, all right? Some of you may see it, but there is a shark in there, they told me, all right? How many have ever seen one of these things and you're looking at it, all right. And then all of a sudden that sucker jumps out at you. You ever have, wave at me if you've ever been looking at one of these things. And all of a sudden you go, wow. And you're like, wow, look at that. All right. That's what the Bible's like, by the way. All right. You're, you're reading that thing and you're meditating on that thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, wham. It like gets you and you're like, whoa. All right. I didn't see that before, but it's there. All right. But you didn't see it. All right. It reminds me of the first time. I went to a Chinese restaurant. Well, I'm serious. How many of you have ever had sushi? So they said, have some sushi. And so I said, okay. You get that little sauce stuff, you know? And then there was this green stuff. Wasabi. Have you ever had that stuff? And they said, that's hot. And I thought, I lived in Mexico, I know hot. All right. If I put a bunch of that stuff on there, take that sushi, put that thing in my mouth, I kid you not, I thought fire was coming out of my nose. I mean, I, I mean every part, I, mean, I go, oh! You know? It's like when you get a revelation from God, it's like wasabi. I mean, oh, I see it. I believe you now, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so let me close with the story. Truth. 
Where, where, where am I in my sermon anyway? I forgot. I, got, I don't know where that wasabi story came from. It just popped up. All right. So there's the prophet Elijah. Okay. He is one of the, the key characters in the entire Old Testament. There's Assyrian, the, the Assyrians are the enemies of Israel. And there is an Assyrian general named Naaman. And again and again and again, he has been victorious every place that he went. So he's highly esteemed, but he's a leper. And in his house, there's a servant girl from Israel. And she says to Naaman's wife, she says, why, if, if the general was just in Israel, there's a prophet there that would heal him of his leprosy. And to make a long story short, he ends up at the prophet's house. Right? And the prophet sends out his servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi says to the general, the prophet said, go to the river Jordan, dip seven times, and you'll be healed. And the Bible says, and I quote, he said, he's furious, by the way, he's mad. And he says, surely I thought. Listen, your thoughts, if they're wrong, will get you in trouble. They'll keep you from what God has for you. He says, surely I thought he would come out. He would wave his hand over the place and call on the name of his God and I would be healed. Are not the rivers, the Abana and the Parpar of Damascus much cleaner than all the waters of Israel? Why couldn't I wash in them and be clean? And he takes off and he's going home and he is mad. And his servant said, now if the prophet had asked you to do an easy thing or a hard thing you would have done it, why not just do this easy thing? And so he turns around, he goes to that Jordan River, he dips seven times, and when he came up the seventh time, the Bible said his skin was just like a baby's skin and he was perfectly healed. But his thought, he thought, I thought I was gonna get it like this. I thought God was gonna do that. If we miss God in our thoughts, we'll miss what God has for us. Right? What God wants to do with his word is he wants to change what we expect. Right? Change what we expect him to do. In his word, he tells us what he's going to do. Somebody said, you never know what God's going to do. That's crazy. Right? The sun always comes up on the east and it always goes down on the west. God is not schizophrenic. All right. In fact, God told us what he's going to do. He's going to do chapter and verse. He's going to do his word. The Bible says that he confirms the word with signs following. Right? And what you and I need to do is we need to go to his word and say, God, show me who you've made me to be. Show me what belongs to me in Christ. Show me who you are. Not the person I've heard about or the God I've heard about from my culture or from some tradition, but I want to know the real you. And when you change what you expect, you will change what you receive. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, the Virgin Mary, and said, this is what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you're gonna become pregnant and have a child. He said, how can this be? I don't know a man. He said, well, the Spirit of God's gonna come upon you. This is what she said. Let it be to me according to your word. She expected God to do what God said he would do. And he did what he said he would do. And the same thing is true with you and me. When we expect, when we believe that God is going to do what he said he'd do, 
He's going to do what he said he would do. Jesus said, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Again, our culture would tell us that good people, all good people go to heaven. But the Bible tells us that forgiven people go to heaven, that everyone is welcome, that everyone gets in the same way, that everyone can meet the requirements. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Here's what Jesus is saying, that all of my efforts to do right things will never make me right with God. And all of your efforts to do right things would never make you right with God. He's saying he is the only way. That's why he said, you must be born again. Now that means you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And with Jesus, it really is an all or nothing proposition. He said to to the church in Revelation, he said, because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. Now, salvation is not about your head. It's not about what you know. You've celebrated Easter. You're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. You know about God. You know about Jesus. But again, salvation is about your heart. Have you given him all of your heart and all of your life? It's not what you know. It's have you given him your heart? He's not a thief to steal your heart, a manipulator to trick you. But you must be born again. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And if you're here and you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God and you know you need to get right. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, please lift your hand and we're going to pray. And God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we leave, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. Now, as you lift the hand, the first thing that you're saying to God is you're saying, God, I know I need forgiveness. I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm coming and I'm giving Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Two, get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm receiving him by faith. He's gonna come into my heart. He's gonna blood wash me from my sin. I'm gonna be forgiven. You're gonna make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. You say, pray with me, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand and I see that hand. Are there others? Include me, pastor. Thank you. God bless you. In the balcony, anyone? Include me, pastor. I'm not right. Thank you. God bless you. Somebody else. Thank you. God bless you. Another hand back here. Thank you. All right. Would everyone right where you are, take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray with those that just lifted their hands. I want you to make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's coming again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer. As you blood wash me from my sin, that my past is gone, that I'm your child, a part of your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.